This morning, Pastor Todd is going to conclude our sermon series on the gospel-centered life. We've talked about the gospel and redemption and repentance and mission uh, and forgiveness. And what sermon series on real life would be complete without a sermon on conflict? Sweet. Uh, Our scripture reading comes this morning from the book of Galatians. And one of the many things I love about the Bible is how brutally honest it is about things like this. Did you guys know that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul had a knockdown, dragout fight? Did you know that it was recorded in Scripture? Uh, well, here it is, and then we'll give Pastor Todd a chance to tell us about it. This is from Galatians 2. But when Cephas, that's a translation of Peter, and by the way, this is being written by Paul, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? But we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay. All right, the last in our series on this subject of the gospel-centered life. Uh, The small little book where ideas are coming from uh, looks like this, and it is in the foyer. encourage you to get a copy of this. It is well worth uh, looking at and, uh, and having at, at, at your house. And uh, I think some of our fellowship groups have gone through that study. Um, so as Nathaniel said, the Apostle Paul uh, confronts Peter uh, in a town called Antioch, which was north of Jerusalem. And uh, Peter was born a Jew, we know, and uh, he had come to understand that the non-Jews were okay in the kingdom of God. And he began to be intimidated by uh, those who were Jews by birth who showed up at perhaps we could call it the church potluck. And uh, these, these Jews walk in, Peter's been eating with the Gentiles, and he comes over and he disassociates with the Gentiles, and he comes over and he sits with his Jewish buddies, and he reverts back to his old ways. Uh, And if you can't have fellowship or table uh, fellowship with someone, that means that they are not um, clean. They're not your friend. They're not part of what Jesus is doing. And Paul took a stand. And so um, let me uh, me start off with a couple of my my big concern this morning, and I guess perhaps this whole series. uh, And if you're you're new with us, this is a, a good time to just talk a bit about this, that the gospel 
works in a particular way. It is a movement. The gospel starts in the Trinity where the Father, the Father determines that there will be a plan. The Son says, Father, I will do that plan. And the Spirit now applies the finished work of Jesus. So there's a movement from heaven to earth. And then from, from the ministry of Jesus into the apostles, into the churches they established, into the scriptures, we find a record of what God is doing. And that movement now through the Spirit is in you. God is moving you. You are intended for a direction. And the direction looks like this, from self to others. Okay? And what we need is fresh grace daily to move from self to others. All right, so let me go back a long, long way. Many of you know I came to Christ when I was 19, and so when I was in my college years at a Christian college in Southern California, I was involved in a, in a student ministry, and we went rock climbing with a, a bunch of 11th grade boys. And in the van driving to this place where we're climbing rocks, which is like the scariest thing in the world, when I think about rock climbing, my, my palms start sweating. I'll need a talc bag here, you know. It's craziness, and... Uh, we're, we're coming back from the rock climbing trip, and I turned to a guy named John. This is one of my first times to sort of try to figure out who these high school kids were, where they were coming from. And I'd been with them for several months, and I said, John, aren't there some friends and guys you know at school that you could bring to youth group? And he had a quick response. He said, well, I, have, I really don't have anything in common with them. And uh, I was trying to process this, figure this out, he, and so... I then said, um, uh, what did Jesus have in common with us? And he had to think about that for a while, and of course the answer is nothing. So, uh, and I was, a, again, fairly young Christian. I don't claim to have any special uh, insight into these things. At the end, and I re- recognize that the problem is that we are actually thinking that we are okay in this thinking that we figure out within in Christian circles, in church circles, how to nurture that idea that we actually have nothing in common with others or other people or these guys I don't like at school. Here's, here's the point, is that we have everything in common with sinners, with uh, people around you. We have everything in common. So the, the task of the Christian life is to figure that, that out. And so God in his love has ordained a structure in the church. And this is really a form of exhortation. I don't know if you, you realize that. But this is not sort of an Oprah discussion thing. And we kind of talk a little bit and, and have go to a commercial break. This is an exhortation to conform to the gospel, that, the, the good news of the gospel. And so the self, as we mentioned earlier in the service, is this sorrowful place where we live, and, and the self is consumed with itself, and it is uh, in despair, and only through the gospel will we ever get out of our inwardness. inwardness. And you can have inwardness and have great theological precision, You can uh, have great theological degrees and have an inward, selfish sort of focus to your life. You have to, there has to be a, you have to tap into the power of the gospel itself. Theology is important, but it is not an end in itself. And so, uh, again, I want to 
this is a problem within the church that we are comfortable with ourselves, we figure out a way to live comfortably and to distance ourselves from the messy world of people. Okay? So, my hope is that we would become a church of counselors, biblical counselors. We're already a church of counselors. You already have advice for people. Someone has a problem. You have some thoughts. Maybe a book on Amazon, or uh, you know, again, Doctor Phil, or you, you have you have something you're going to say to that person. Well, you need to do this. You need to think this. Read this, uh, right? And so we're all counselors. Could we all be biblical counselors and help people at this place? What's called conflict. And so I, I, in many ways, throughout this series, I really haven't been sh- sure. Am I really preaching? Am I presenting a seminar? Am I doing a... I, it, it's been sort of a little bit of a different experience for me. Yes, I'm expositing Galatians 2, for those of you who are wondering what on earth is going on here. Um, but I have a number of things I want you to, to see, and it's there on the outline. And so uh, let's, let's kind of go through this. Uh, number one, how do you know something is touching you in a deep way. There's a couple of little, not spelled, not the grammar isn't quite right in that sentence, but how do you know something is touching you in a deep way? Uh, I had a Spanish teacher. I took uh, Spanish in high school, and he would tell us that when you, when you knew that you were grasping a language, how would you know is when you dream in it, right? I never dreamed in Spanish. I just never happened. Um, so, how do you know the gospel is impacting you and touching you deeply? You're dreaming in it. You're reflecting on it. Maybe not your night dreams, but your daydreams. You're mulling it over. What did that mean when they said that in church? What does that mean there in Galatians 2? What should I do? How should I conduct my life? You're, you're mulling it over. And I want to ask you, are you living there? Is that where you daydream? What, and your daydreams can actually be an indicator of where your heart really is. And I say that to say that the Word of God is working at that deep level within us where we really, really live. The gospel-centered life is the story of those who are entering into the movement of God. You sense that God's living and he's active and he's moving. There's a conversation that's happening at the grocery store. God is moving and active and he's alive and working. There's something dynamic going on in my life and it's happening right now. I can't distance myself from it and get on with my real life. This is becoming my real life. Now, we all struggle with that. But here are two good questions uh, coming from a guy named David Pallison. It's very, very simple. What are you facing and how does the Lord connect? What are you facing right now in your life? And what resources are there in God, in his promises in Jesus Christ for you? In fact, life doesn't get much more complicated than that. Now, when we look at the idea of here is a, a beautiful, really remarkable church in Antioch north of Jerusalem, and it is a multicultural church. It has people from different backgrounds and cultures there. It is not just a Jewish church who believe in Jesus. And it's a very important church because it becomes a missions 
church, and it's a sending church that sends missionaries. And the scene is that in Antioch, Peter has already been trained. He's already been uh, under, under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. God has cleansed the Gentiles just like he cleansed Jews. There is no distinction. Everyone needs the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter has been trained in this. And Peter falls back into his default way of living. I'm just more comfortable with my Jewish buddies. And uh, it's probably not the first time he did this. He would teach and preach as though everyone is equal in God's sight, that, the, that there's no advantage to being Jewish, that through Jesus alone you become part of the new humanity. He would probably teach that. He was convinced of it. But in the practice and application of it, he went a particular way. And in a very kind way, we can say Peter practiced a kind of racism. And it would be deadly if it did not get addressed at, at any time in the church, but particularly at this moment. Imagine a gospel that went, through, went forward to where people are actually divided. Now, how, uh, what were Paul's options in dealing with Peter? And this is the great apostle Paul and the great, Pe- the great Peter, the titans of the faith. <laughs> and the, and Peter doesn't have, we don't really hear Peter's response here, but we hear Paul. And um, what are Paul's options? Because he does have some options. He's going to deal with this, but how, what are his options? First of all, his first option could be, well, that's just Peter. It's, Peter's always been this way, so it's a fleshly thing. Peter can't change. We all know Peter. He has weaknesses. This is one of his deals. So it's sort of a fleshly, he sort of writes him off, right? That would be one option. Paul could have done that. Um, he could have said, look, um, I'll, let, I'll just be cool toward him. I will uh, let him, if he really has a problem and he finally gets it, I'll, I'll, I'll let him take the initiative. So I'll be over here uh, eating with the Gentiles, and if he really gets it and realizes, then, then, then I'll talk to him only if he takes initiative. He could have just shamed him and said, look, Peter, you don't do this. It's just not right. He could have given him Bible verses from various places in the Bible. It's just not right. It's just not right. The Bible doesn't say this. Peter, you shouldn't do this. He could have done that. That's perfectly... Perfectly okay. And then he could have gossiped about Peter. You know what? The Apostle Paul. Um, well, how do you handle conflict? Do you go in the movement of the Spirit and come to, to... Do you move toward a person or do you fold your arms and go your way? Do, are you cool toward them and more formal now and not involved with them because they have acted in a certain way that it just meets your disapproval? What does Paul do? How does he do it? He uses the gospel in order to engage Peter. He says to Peter, Peter, what you're doing is not in line with the gospel. God did not look at your DNA and say, oh, I need a Jew. I'll include you in the kingdom based on your Jewishness. No. Peter you are now to apply this to every area of life in line with the gospel. That's in verse 14. And when I saw that his, his actions were not in line with the gospel, this now opens up 20 or 30 categories for us 
our generosity, our relationships, um, our, our way of conducting ourselves in the office at work, in line with the gospel, our way of interacting with sinners, in line with the gospel. Did God look and see someone who had moral conformity to his law? The answer is no. Is my conduct toward people in line with the gospel? I have something to identify. I have something that connects me with everyone. That makes me in line with the gospel. I am not on some moral high horse looking down on people as if God saw that. That was credited to me as righteousness as God encountered me. And that... It worked for me. The gospel is a declaration that we have nothing working for us and now live on that basis. This is hard for church folks to hear, by the way, because we are impressed with our conformity to some kind of standard. We, we sort of think often about ourselves. See how self isn't quite relieved yet? In many ways, uh, this is from a small little book by Tim Keller called um, The the Self-Forgetful Life. We're always, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, we're always on trial, always on trial. So we're always sort of collecting, yes, I'm good, I've done well, I'm doing okay, yes, I'm, I'm okay. There's sort of a prosecution in our minds. You don't, you, you know, you'll only be okay if you conform and do certain things. There's a prosecution going on that, that, you know, you feel guilt because you you haven't done enough, so you try harder. And there's a defense in your mind going, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay, I've done enough, I'm okay. This sort of sense I'm constantly on trial. The Apostle Paul comes to Peter and says, the trial's over, Peter. It was never based upon our ethnicity. You can't live this way. So he engages, so Paul is in, in the movement of the gospel. He deals with Peter and in particular, it's a public sin that needs to be dealt with publicly. But he's impressing upon Peter that this is what looks like to be in line with the gospel. And so our movement toward people, how would we describe it? It is a God-glorifying intentionality. I'm not coming to correct you in order to prove that I am okay. I'm not coming to uh, prove something about you that makes me elevated and puts you down. I'm coming in order for you to see if there is sin, in order for you to see the enslavement of sin and the goodness of God's rescue in Jesus Christ. I'm not coming to make myself look good. That's modeled in, in Galatians 2 here with the Apostle Paul. Fresh grace for daily living. We usually are operating in what we think is normal. We sort of our normal relational style of being, sort of a way of relating to people. We are we are very comfortable with that. We're really seeing Peter's habits come to life. This is really kind of where Peter lived. And uh, what we're after in the gospel is that we're after a, an active peacemaking, not peace faking way of living. So we're going to move because being reconciled with our brother and sister is a God-glorifying thing, and we want them to know about it. We want them to experience the signs and of friendship and reconciliation. We want the power of the gospel to show itself right here and right now. We live in a world and a culture where we, as consumers, 
We can consume a little bit of religion at this place and a little bit of religion at that place. And when there's conflict, we can find another place. And the gospel's power to reconcile people is rarely experienced. We want things to be comfortable and safe, not messy. Now, we live a little closer to Galatians 2, a little closer to where people depart and sin against us or sin against um, their someone. Or uh, We live in a world that's a bit more messy, and the gospel is working in us that we would engage this world where we are modeled by our God a particular way to deal with conflict Our God demonstrates in his son that he was willing to suffer, willing to spend time, willing to move toward sinners and enter into dialogue. You think of of the woman at the well. What a beautiful picture of Jesus entering into dialogue with someone who has great needs to be reconciled to God. And so the gospel is showing us a pattern of reconciliation and conflict resolution. Now, we have two general styles of relating to people. Uh, now, this comes from the book. This is, this is the attackers, and then there's the withdrawers. The attackers have a high value on justice. Um, they, uh, they argue a lot. They are lawyer-like. Uh, they, they are good at argumentation, and they're good at presenting how wrong you are, even though the initial discussion might have been about you, Right? They can turn it over to the other person very cleverly and make it about their faults and how they have failed. So very justice-oriented, and um, and they they uh, in many ways it's interesting that people even as adults we really don't have any questions about our relational styles. When was the last time you ever? Uh, thought, I would like to improve in this area. I'd like to grow in this area. All of us are fairly confident. I'm, I'm fine in that area. I, right, I, I, I'm okay in that area. Very few of us ever question whether or not we actually love biblically. And so our thought about the injustice that's done to us overwhelms us. And it becomes this attacking style. The withdrawing style is interesting because this person really just wants peace at any cost. And they are, um, in many ways, um, they're just sort of suppressing their anger. Um, They just want to keep the peace. Um, They might even ask, you know, what does it matter? It's not that important. Um, And they'd rather avoid any kind of of conflict. And uh, they like to have space. And they tend to just... uh, sort of move into a, a, a place that's isolated and they withdraw. Are you, do you find yourself in those two styles of relating? Might be a little too extreme, uh, but the attacking and the withdrawing style, they feel very, very natural to us. How do you respond to disagreement? How do you respond to frustration, offense, or hurt? In fact, our responses may feel quite normal. And to respond with the gospel, to respond with, what I mean by that is to respond with, wait a minute, I'm going to do what would be good for the glory of God. That is counterintuitive and not natural to us. But there is hope for our relationships. There is great hope because it is here that we can actually find great praise to give to God because he will come through when we are faithful 
to follow biblical conflict resolution principles. We think of Matthew 18 where it says, go, go to your brother in private and talk to him. That can and does work. It doesn't work to gossip about someone. It doesn't work to go around them. It doesn't work to, you know, to, to speak poorly of them. It does work when you come to your brother and say, and ask ten questions before you condemn them. Ask ten questions before you come to some conclusion. And you might even find in that conversation you have misunderstood something and you can go and part as friends. Even if you have understood something correctly and you do realize and you are aware as they talk that they really have sinned against you, you have now an opportunity to try to win them. And that's a gospel-centered confrontation. So, Sometimes relationships just fall apart, and what we have to sadly say, and you can even say this in, when someone's choosing to not enter into a reconciliation, you can say, so you're telling me that the gospel is not powerful enough in this particular issue. And brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, why, do we, why, do, why would we think that? Why would we think there's something that's happened that is so beyond uh, the, the pale that, that we cannot be reconciled to a person? So, when, when it comes to the heart foundation of an attacking style and the heart foundation of a withdrawing style, it's essentially the, the ones who attack tend to be self-righteous and prideful. Those who are withdrawing are insecure and really not sure where to go. And the gospel calls us to repent of these styles of relating, to enter into the fray, to enter into a reconciliation. Years go by in marriages where there is not a genuine exchange and repentance and forgiveness exchanged, and the relationship wilts. The power source of the attacking mode is really the flesh and, the pro- and, and pride. The attacking, the, the withdrawing mode is really the flesh as well. The flesh is that residual effect of sin. For the withdrawing person, it is fear. In many ways, we inter- encounter an offense and we want to be right. That's the attacking style. When we encounter an offense, we want to avoid the conflict, and that's the withdrawing style. How much in your life is the quest just to have safety and just to, just to feel safe? How much does that occupy your, your, your thinking, my thinking? Often our attacking mode can actually be rooted in that idea of, don't you know I'm supposed to have a conflict-free life? You're a part of the problem, and I need to put you down, put you away, because my life needs to be safe. And for the ones who withdraw, the, the, the quest really is for a life that's less painful. But the truth is, life is challenging. Life is messy. Where do we go for comfort and assurance that this is the way it really is? The life of Jesus Christ. So, what has to happen? Well, here's what has to happen. Remember that place of daydreaming, that place of where you're sort of preoccupied and you begin to wonder and think and meditate and you know, your mind just occupied on certain things, there really needs to be 
a deep work of reflection on the gospel itself. And the gospel will do its work. God, you have received me. God, you did not see me as righteous. God, you found me as a radical sinner against your holy will. And you came in Jesus Christ, and you came in your mercy, and you brought your healing grace in my life. Now, I want that healing that I've experienced in being reconciled to you, I want that, to, I want that experience to be the experience in my relationships. I desire that, God. Pray about it. Ask God to move, move you at that deep level where you move from self to others. Ask yourself this question. When I'm encountering disappointment, some hardship, some offense, what is now moving in you? What, what's, some, something's rattling inside you. What is it? Is it your sense of self? Or is what's rattling the beauty of the gospel has been violated? Something wonderful about God is, and, and knowing God has been violated. I sense it. I feel it. Or is it about our own self-protectiveness? So I want to ask you, as we conclude... God is a God of reconciliation. This reconciliation is not peripheral to the gospel. It's central to our life. We need, as a church, more and more biblical counselors who can move into conflict and seek resolution. One little sermon on it will not be enough. But to to meditate on it, think about it, study it. How can we be a church blessed as a church of peacemakers? Interesting that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount highlighted peacemaking as a characteristic of the new society of his kingdom that he's building right now. So the one who came, the one who got, died on a cross, is the one willing to train you and teach you, guide you, into the very reconciliation that you've experienced, that it will be extended to others. Will you join me in prayer? Father, these are deep patterns in our life that need to be touched by you. Thank you that you are at work and you are moving. Father, thank you that we can tap into that powerful movement that moves us away from the sorrow of self and into the joy of reconciliation and the joy of seeing people find deep happiness in you. Father, we are just learning what this looks like. We thank you for the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's